Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. The first reading for today is Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. Page 497 for the Bibles at the back. I'll give you a few moments to bring it up. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The next reading is from John 1, verses 1 to 14. Page 737. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thanks very much, Nick. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you this morning. Um, If you haven't met me, if I haven't met you, I'm Simon, uh, or Simon Jackson. People call me Jacko around here, Um, and I'm the lead pastor of City Light Church, North Adelaide. It's good to see you all this morning. Um, Do keep John chapter 1 open in front of you on your phone or in your Bible. That would be a good place to be. We're continuing our series uh, called Riches to Rags. A couple of, this is our Advent series, so kind of as we kind of get our hearts and minds sort of engaged afresh with the story of Christmas, the truth and beauty of Christmas, uh, we've been looking at this series, Riches to Rags, um, how God came from the riches of glory, the riches of heaven, the riches of a perfect relationship, Jesus with a perfect relationship with his Father came into the brokenness and the messiness and the uncertainty of our world in order to rescue, redeem and renew us and his creation. Um, 
A couple of weeks ago, we thought about um, Bethlehem, that little hick town south of Jerusalem that most people had forgotten even existed when Jesus arrived. And yet through that town, in that place, was where the rescuer of the world came um, to be born. Last week, we looked at the humiliation, the shame that Jesus endured on our part so that through his shame and humiliation, we might be free through faith in what he did for us as he hung on that old tree uh, 2,000 years ago. Today, um, we are, again, just thinking about the wonder of how Jesus, God in the flesh, understands us, how he would debase himself, condescend in order to walk in our shoes, know our struggles, and love us to the end. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. A few housekeeping things or announcements from my part before we kind of open up and get started. Um, One is, I believe this is the first time in City Light Church, North Adelaide history, we've ever had a dog in our church before. Um, So welcome to Arlo, who's fallen asleep. Um, there you go. How good is that? Most people fall asleep after I start talking. Um, but uh, anyway, there you go. Welcome, Arlo. Um, I don't know. I think he's the first dog we've ever had in our church, unless someone here has come with one of those like mini dogs in their bag, and uh, we've never... It's not a dog. There you go. It's not a dog. Um, so welcome, Arlo. Uh, really quickly, um, I gave a finance update a couple of weeks ago, um, just to let you know where we're, how we were tracking. We were tracking really well. Um, just an update, sort of our November finances, um, we're doing well again. So we're ahead of budget. Um, So that kind of continues to kind of be our trajectory. So um, thank you to those who give. Praise God for his provision in what's been a pretty interesting year, for want of a better expression. So just to let you know, we're we're going okay, heading into Christmas. Um, That's good. Um, I've written notes on my hand, which I'm told is bad not to do that. But uh, the third thing is, uh, I don't know if you tuned in yesterday, but a couple here, uh, Naomi and Michael, were married yesterday in Alice Springs. Um, Yeah. Totally. So a bunch of us were able, and they, we were able to connect online um, and uh, watch them uh, make great promises to each other um, and uh, to receive that wonderful gift of marriage. Um, so we can be upholding them in prayer, hey, as they um, engage on that um, sort of life together. And the final thing is five more sleeps. Five more sleeps until Christmas. Um, anyone not started their Christmas shopping yet? Yeah, good job. Yeah, yeah, Phil, nice. Yeah, good on you. Um, all the best for that as you uh, <laughs> seek to do whatever you need to do. Five sleeps to go. Plenty of time, plenty of time. Um, uh, as, we, uh, as we start together, I know we've just spent a bit of time chatting to the people amongst us, but I've got a question that I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask them. Um, and here's the question. If you could ask God just one question, what would it be? If you could ask God... Just one question. Don't cheat. Don't go, well, I've got actually seven questions that I want to ask him. What's the one? Hard. I'll give you a couple of minutes. Have a quick go. Um, Turn to the person next to you around you. What's one question you'd like to ask God? Have a go. Um, If if you've known me for longer than 10 seconds, you'll know that I am not God, and therefore I won't be able to answer all your questions this morning. Um, I'm sure there are many, but uh, let's pray. One one last one. These are sitting, lying around on your seats. These are adverts for um, Christmas. Um, so on the back is our two big Christmas gatherings, uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Um, you can stick this on your fridge or maybe you could even hand it to your neighbour um, and invite them along to church or a colleague at work. So um, there's a few more on the back table as well if you'd like, but there you go. 
Um, also, um, I'm going to pray and we're going to start in God's Word, but uh, Wolfgang and Samantha, who've been joining us in recent times, um, well, uh, Samantha's grandfather just died in the past week. Uh, that's why they're not here today. They're up in Brisbane actually visiting uh, family and celebrating his life. Um, yeah, I think it's tomorrow. So how about we pray for them and, and us as we hear God's Word today. Father, thank you for your goodness to us and thank you for your Word Uh, Father, we thank you that the Word, uh, your Word, became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we pray that as we think about that beauty and amazing truth today, you drive that deep into our hearts and our minds, uh, that we might leave here just in wonder and awe afresh in what you've done for us, who you are towards us in your Son, the Lord Jesus. So, Father, we pray today as we gather around your Word in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that we would see Jesus, Father. We pray that we would hear him. And we pray that we would love him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I love about Christmas is the opportunity we get to sing lots and lots and lots and lots of Christmas carols. I love singing Christmas carols. I was leaving the church office the other day, which is a co-working space, and I happened to, I think even unconsciously, was singing, O Holy Night. And someone said, you really like Christmas, don't you, Jacko? And I said, yes, I do. Um, I love singing Christmas carols. Um, You know, we sing them here at church. Um, We sung one just before. We sing them in our home. We sing them as we walk down the street. Uh, We we sing them normally at our community carols event, which unfortunately we couldn't do this year because of the cluster and COVID-19. Um, I love singing carols. I love singing carols so much that I, one of my other hats is that I've become the chaplain to the South Australian police of the CBD of Adelaide. And so I go and see them, you know, every week. And uh, one of the things that I, I, I did this week, I walked in and I sort of handed out some tasty treats and things like that. And I got a few of people very reluctantly to come and sing a couple of carols with me. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to be welcome back in the new year. That's what I'm um, anticipating. I love, I love singing Christmas carols. Um, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm not sure any of the police guys have done that before. But anyway, um, the great thing about Christmas carols is right. The great thing about Christmas carols is they unashamedly remind us that Jesus came to earth as a baby 2,000 years ago, and they remind us unashamedly that Jesus is the Savior and Lord of all the world, of everyone, of everything. Sadly, though, right, the reality is that over time, the Christmas carols become sort of so familiar, so we know the tunes, we even just sort of sing the words, we can often sing them without even thinking about what we're singing, and in particular, thinking about the implications of what we're singing. Maybe you found that even this morning as we sang Noel, you kind of felt like the fairly familiar tune, slightly changed up, were you actually thinking about what you were singing? Was I? Well, there was a popular song that was released back in the mid-1990s that also kind of raised the wonder of the incarnation, God coming into the world in human flesh. And it raised the issue of the incarnation for a whole generation of people who'd probably forgotten about it. It's a song called One of Us, by a woman named, uh, sung by Joan Osborne, there's Joan Osborne, written by a guy called Eric Bazilian, that's a pretty cool name. Um, it was released in March 1995. I'm pretty sure that's almost before most of you were born. But anyway, it really did happen. Um, this song, um, One of Us, 
simply ask questions to get people thinking about God and what he might be like. Questions to cause us to wonder about what meeting God would be like, what relating to God might be like. And I thought, you know, because it's such a great song, you might think otherwise. I'm going to play a bit for you right now. I'm not going to sing it. You'll be thankful. Have a look at the screen. See what happens. There you go, 1995, retro, there you go. Kind of one of those film clips as well where I go, what on earth were they thinking, you know, as they were making that? Um, if God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face? If you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? The thought of meeting God and talking to him about the big questions of life is an intriguing one, I reckon. Uh, would God understand? Would God really know what life is like for me? Would he have the answers to my questions? The chorus of the song takes us to the possibility of God becoming human. What if God were one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home? Whether you're familiar with the song or not, mostly not, I'm thinking. But when it was released back in 95, it 1995, it really struck a chord with lots of people, right? became one of the most popular songs of the 1990s. Um, it topped the charts here in Australia, woo, um, Belgium, uh, Canada, Sweden. Clearly people are drawn, clearly we as human beings are drawn to the idea of God becoming one of us. The idea that God might come to earth for a while, walk in our shoes, somehow connect with us at a deep level. Is it possible? Could it happen? Well, John, John chapter 1, the opening chapter of the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, which is a biography of Jesus Christ, tells us that it is possible and that it in, did in fact happen. Uh, have a look with me, John chapter 1, verses 1 through to 3. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So John's gospel begins by talking about Jesus before he became human and before he came to earth. Sometimes I think, at least I do, sometimes I think we forget just how big, how enormous Jesus is and just how long Jesus has been around for. 
The passage tells us that God the Son existed before time ever began. Known then as the Word, or the Logos, He was there with God from the beginning. Indeed, He was God from the beginning. And the Word, Jesus was God's agent in creating the universe. You remember Genesis chapter 1, if you're a Bible person. Genesis chapter 1, if you go right back to the beginning of the Bible, the first chapter, what do we find? We find God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before anything was made, darkness was over the water, and yet with a word, we hear this, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God said, let there be water, and there was water. God speaks, stuff happens. God speaks, and stuff comes into existence. Day, night, land, sea, sun, moon, stars, creatures. And then as the pinnacle of creation, God creates human beings, men and women like you and me, in his own image. And so you see, the word of God brings all things into existence. That's the biblical worldview, Genesis chapter 1, 2. Have a look at verse 3 again, John chapter 1, verse 3. Through him, the word... All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. The Apostle Paul, a little while later, affirms the same truth in a letter that he writes to a group of young Christians in the city of Colossae in the first century, where he says this, Colossians 1, verse 15. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over creation. See, you see Jesus, you see the Father. For in him, verse 16, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. Staggering truth, yeah? Remarkable. So Jesus, before time began, was the creator of the universe. It was all made by him, made through him, and made for him. Now, of course, all that, you know, the bigness of Jesus, the fact that he's been around for a very long time, the fact that he created everything, including you, heightens, for me at least, I hope for you, the wonder, the astonishment of the incarnation, that he would become flesh. John 1, 14 takes us right there, right at the beginning of the gospel reading. Listen to this. Have a look at verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh is a staggering and an astounding statement that God the Son would set aside his glory set aside his perfect relationship with his Father set aside the comforts and the glory and the beauty of heaven and enter the world as an embryo implanted in the belly of a virgin peasant woman by the Holy Spirit to be born as a common man is just simply extraordinary. The Word became flesh. God became human. 
The creator becomes a creature, a tiny baby, in fact, unable to do anything more than sleep, cry, and feed. Surely this is the most astounding truth. I think this is one of the most astounding truths of the Christian faith. You know, some people struggle with the the miracles that Jesus performed. Others stumble over the idea that that Jesus could actually die on an old wooden cross 2,000 years ago and by doing that pay the penalty for our sin. Some people struggle to understand that. Others still question the reality and the possibility and the plausibility of the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension to the right hand of God. But I think perhaps the most mind-blowing truth of all is that God became one of us. God entering the world as a newborn baby. Um, J.I. Packer, love J.I. Packer, died recently, he's with the Lord in glory, extraordinary man, wrote this, nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. But what if it happened? What if it happened? What would it mean? Well, it would mean that God did actually become one of us. As the song puts it, just a slob like one of us. You know, Jesus, he, he, as far as we know, he grew up in a working class home in a backwater town named Nazareth. No doubt as an apprentice carpenter um, working with his earthly father Joseph, he would have from time to time hit his thumb with his hammer and I bet it would hurt. I mean, I did it, I did it the other day. You know, I'm not a very handy man. You probably can work that out already. And my wife knows it very well, actually, that I'm not a handyman. But I've got my hammer going. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm so good. And then, bam, hit my thumb. Hurt like heck. And the dog goes, why did you do that? And I'm like, I didn't actually mean to do that. Um, anyway, you know, so here's Jesus working for his father, Joseph, his earthly father, Joseph, as a hammer, getting sweaty and stinky and occasionally, no doubt, hitting his thumb with his hammer. And I bet it hurt just like it did for me. Jesus dwelled among us. Yeah, the word, sorry, the word dwelt literally means to pitch a tent. So when it says he dwelt among us, literally he pitched his tent among us. It's the same word that the Old Testament uses all the way through for the word tabernacle. You might know that already. The tabernacle, here's a picture of it. Whoa, there you go. Might be a, look like a tent that you're going to camp in over Christmas and New Year. I don't know. Um, the, that's the tabernacle, right? It was a, a fairly elaborate kind of structure that, that God actually gave his people the instructions for and said, you know, build it like this. The tabernacle was this tent that would move around with God's original people, Israel, as they went from outer slavery in Egypt all the way on to the promised land. And basically the tabernacle was where God's dwelling was kind of present with his people as they moved from, you know, out of slavery through the Exodus all the way over to the promised land. Tabernacle was a physical representation that God was with his people, that God was dwelling with his people as they went about their lives. They had access to the living God through the tabernacle. And know this, it wasn't just a a place to worship God, an option among many, it was the place to worship God. And so when John says, chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, he's saying that Jesus has become the one through whom we now have access to God. And when he came, when he dwelt or tabernacled among us, he also walked in our shoes, so to speak. He felt hungry, he got thirsty, 
He got tired like us. He knew sorrow like us. He knew betrayal and rejection and grief like us. He was tempted in every way like us, but he did not sin. He felt hungry. He experienced all the things that you and I experience. Hunger, thirst, grief, sadness, joy, sorrow, pain. That sense of being tempted to do things that we know aren't good for us, and yet when he was tempted, he did not sin. This is what sets the Christian God, the the Lord Jesus Christ, the living God of the Bible, apart from all the other rivals to his godness in the world. I remember I was at a debate at Sydney University and I was um, debating the head of the Muslim society. And as we were debating, you know, we were talking and talking, then there was question time afterwards. And we're talking about, we're we're debating the the divinity, who is Jesus? And And as the question time happened, it was really interesting, as the question time happened, it just became really obvious that the God of Christianity and Allah of Islam were not the same people. You know, I was saying things like, you know, when God came to earth in the person of his son, he got hungry, so he had to eat. You know, and because he ate, his body kind of processed the food, so he had to go to the toilet. We won't talk too much about that, but, you know, like, he had to use the bathroom. And the, the guy that I was debating from the head of the Muslim society, he was like, no, no, Allah never has to do that. And I'm like, well, the God of the Bible did. It became really obvious. It wasn't hostile. It just became really obvious that Islam... And the divine figure that Muslims follow is not the same as the one that we as Christians follow, Jesus Christ. Jesus was tempted in every way like us, but he did not sin. The New Testament book of Hebrews tells us this is what makes Jesus such a super-duper, superb high priest, such a great mediator between us and God. Have a look, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The fact that Jesus came... And dwell among us means he's well-placed to help us, yes, in our time of need. To come alongside us in our pain. To to advocate, to, to stand in for us in the midst of our failure and our flaws and our foibles before a holy and righteous God. Can you see that only someone who is one of us can truly represent us before a holy God? Only one who's never sinned before can offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for sinners like you and me, enabling us to be right with God. Only one who is fully God and fully man and has risen from the dead can represent us in heaven right now as our great high priest interceding for us. But this is what Jesus does. And because he dwelt among us, you know what? He gets us. The one through whom we pray to God the Father is one of us, and and he gets us. I don't know, think for a moment. When was the last time you felt so tired that you could sleep through anything? Jesus gets that. So draw near to the throne of grace and ask for strength. 
When was the last time you went to a wedding as a, as a, a single, unmarried person and you felt that sort of anguish or angst? Jesus did that. He gets you. Draw near to the throne of grace for comfort. When was the last time you sweated on what the right thing to do was and you feared that if you do that right thing, it actually it'll cost you? Jesus did that. He gets you. Draw near to the throne of grace for resolve and conviction and courage. When was the last time you felt, I don't know, let down, rejected, abandoned by others? Jesus experienced that. He gets you. Draw near to the throne of grace for help. When was the last time you wept at the loss of a loved one? Or at least at the prospect of losing someone? Jesus experienced that. He gets you. Draw near to the throne of grace for comfort and for hope. Friends, I hope you understand just just how good this is. Just how wonderful it is. Jesus gets you. He understands you. And as our great high priest He can empathize with us in our weakness because he came and dwelt among us. He came, he became one of us. And it means that through Jesus, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can do that when you're tired. We can do that when we're lonely. We can do that when we're anxious about decisions we need to make. We can do that when we're abandoned. We can do that when we're facing grief or in the midst of of grieving. Through Jesus, we can simply pour out our hearts to God that we might find help in our times of need. Well, the Apostle John, who penned for us the Gospel of John, which we're looking at this morning, experienced like life right up close and personal with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the human being, Jesus Christ. He knew that in Jesus, God dwelt among them, the ultimate tabernacle, the perfect high priest and the sacrifice for sin. And he testifies to how amazing it was. Have a look again at verse 14, John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if you go back right to when Jesus was on planet Earth, you know, John and the other disciples, they got to see the glory of Jesus firsthand. They were with him, they rubbed shoulders with him, they ate food with him, they walked with him, they talked with him. Now this word glory, right, glory is the word that means like um, weightiness or heaviness. Um, Glory comes from something that has depth and substance and significance that requires, when we see it, when we look at it, it it causes in us like a response of like awe and wonder and reverence. So glory is often associated with light, right? Um, Don't think of your bedside table light or lamp. Um, Think more like the sun, you know, when you see the sun, it's, it's brilliant light, it's blinding light that causes the darkness to scurry and flee. You know, usually no human eye can see the glory of God and live, but in Jesus, John and the other disciples saw God's glory. 
And signs of the glory of God are throughout the Gospel of John, if, you have, if you've never read it. You see, Jesus, the glory, you see the glory of Jesus as Jesus turns water into wine in chapter 2 at the wedding at Cana. You see Jesus' glory as he teaches God's truth with power and authority like none had ever seen it before. You see Jesus' glory as he heals the sick, as he feeds thousands, as he walks on water. You come to discover that Jesus is the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sins of the world. You see his glory as you encounter a life full of grace and truth. You see a life that ends in his death for the sins of the world and his triumphant resurrection from the grave. The supreme act of grace that paid the price for our sins and conquered death. That people like you and me would be forgiven and live forever. And we see Jesus' glory as he ascends into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God the Father ruling and reigning and judging the world that he made with his own hands. And so what John has seen of Jesus' glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, we see as we read the Gospel. As we read Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, or John's Gospel. And you know what? I don't know what you've got planned for a summer break. Anyone actually have a summer break? You know, I, yeah, I do, sort of, yeah. Not, no one, a few. I wonder what you're going to do. I mean, can I encourage you, maybe over the summer break, if you do get a break, you may like to read John's Gospel. We've got a copy of these. I think it was written around the time when Joan Osborne was writing, singing that song that we looked at just before. It's a bit of an older version, but it's John's Gospel. It's still good news. I want to encourage you to, to grab one of these. There's a few of these up on the back table. Maybe you might like to, over the summer, read the Gospel of John and for yourself see and hear the glory of Jesus Christ, the one who's come from the Father, full of grace and truth. Read John over summer. Well, if Jesus did become human, and as I see it, The rest of it isn't really a problem. If Jesus of history was in fact God come to man, of course he could do all that he did. Of course he could heal the sick. Of course he could calm storms at sea with a word. Of course God in the flesh could raise people from the dead for he is the one who initially gave those lives life in the first place. Of course he could pay the price for human sin with his blood and free us from slavery. Of course he could rise from the grave and continue forever as our high priest interceding for us, representing us before God even now as we sit here. During the final verse of the 1995 hit song, One of Us, the writer actually puts out a challenge for each one of us to believe. The writer says this, if God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see it? If seeing meant you would have to believe in things like heaven and in Jesus and the saints and all the prophets. Friends, the history recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, points to the facts of Jesus' existence as the Son of God and to points to facts that we simply cannot ignore. 
In Jesus Christ, we have seen what God's face looks like. Right at the very end of John's Gospel, John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, John writes this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John didn't remind the world or share with the world that God became flesh and dwelt among us just to fill some pages of a book and hopefully sell a few copies at Koorong down the track. John wrote down the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ according to what he saw, when he saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote it, why? So that we as human beings would be able to see Jesus, hear Jesus, and through faith in him, believe in Jesus and have life in his name. That's why he wrote it. You know, some people sometimes ignore the evidence about the Lord Jesus Christ. Although we've been given a crystal clear picture of what God was like, what he was like. And we've been gifted by God's grace a way to come home to God that is so generous and it's so beyond good. Sometimes people just don't want to see it. They don't want to consider that Jesus may very well hold the answers to life's deepest questions. It's not in my notes, but as we move towards into 2021, um, I know pretty many of us here are going, I'm looking forward to New Year's Eve when I can say goodbye to 2020. But there's no guarantee, right, that 2021 is going to be any different to 2020. And in many ways, right, the, 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 the horizon that drives us as a church here is not the hope that the next year will be better. The, the horizon that drives us here at City Light Church, North Adelaide, is the hope that Jesus will return and make all things new. But should Jesus tarry, should he not return in 2021, our plan is, as a church, is to run uh, an evangelistic course of some kind next year, maybe a couple of times in next year, where you can gather together and you can explore God's, the big questions of life and hear God's opinion on those. But, you know, more news on that coming up. But you don't have to wait until then. If you're here today and you're yet to put your faith in Jesus because maybe you've just got questions that you need answering, then please speak to me. Please speak to the person you came with. Because at stake is eternal life. Our desire here is if you're here today and you're not yet following Jesus, our desire is that you, like us, would find your deepest satisfaction and needs met in Jesus. John tells us that these things are written down that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in him you would find life in his name. So I wonder this morning, have you believed in Jesus? Do you have life in his name? What if God were one of us? Just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. The wonder of Christmas is that God, in the person of his son, Lord Jesus, came from the riches of glory into the rags of our world and into the messiness of our lives. He walked in our shoes. He 
understands our weaknesses. He gets us. And he loves us. So much so that he would die for us. And then rise again to new life. I hope, I hope this Christmas, you're a little bit astounded by what God has done for us in Christ. And perhaps today for the first time, astounded by the fact that he came for you and loves you. And I hope that this Christmas, today even, we leave in deep wonder at just the beauty and the truth and the goodness of Jesus and worship him as we ought. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we praise you and thank you for Jesus this morning. We praise you for all that he is to us, Father, our creator, our saviour, our Lord, our brother and our friend. Father, we thank you for the joy of being able to sing carols that extol the name of Jesus at this time. Father, we praise you that uh, we get to celebrate our dear Saviour's birth, that even long as our world lay in sin and error pining, you came for us so that we might experience hope as we live in this weary world. Father, we pray that you would help us by your Spirit afresh this morning to see the wonder of Jesus and to fall on our knees for the fact that you gave us Jesus, the greatest gift of all. So, Father, help us to make much of Jesus. Help us to hold out the truth of Jesus this Christmas to our family and our friends. We thank you that Jesus was born, that Jesus died for us, that he's risen again and returning. Father, we pray that you'd help us to look to Jesus, to love Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful, and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church/northadelaide.